the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 51, recorded on July 26, 2016. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good, because I'm hiding indoors because of the heat. I know. I went outside today, and it was unbelievable. And I also was so, so there, I went to the library today, and there was something going on, and so there was no parking at the library, so I ended up having to go like a couple streets over and pack, park in a, um, a different municipal lot. And I could not believe, it can't have been more than a thousand feet, you know, from the library to the other lot. I, I was looked like I had taken a shower by the time I walked, you know, in, through the library doors. I think a lot of people use libraries and public buildings like that as cooling centers. Well, I think the thing is it was packed with, you know, kids and a lot of parents, um, which I'm sure it's a, the library is a great place to be. I often go in the morning and there's like some baby program that they do, but the room was ridiculously packed this morning when I walked past it. I love our library. I do too. And you know, there's always art exhibits there. And I've actually been thinking they have a call out for artists always that if you want to have your art exhibited at the library, you can. So I've been thinking about doing that. And I always find that when I go, so they have one aisle and it's not even a full aisle. It's like one side of an aisle and the shelves aren't even full, but it's where all the sort of craft um, books are, all the craft how-to books. And I find that no matter how many times I go to that aisle and poke through the stuff, um, I always find a book that I hadn't seen there before. And I really like sort of auditioning the books. There are a couple that I'm like, oh, I like this and I keep renewing them. So probably time to buy it, support the author. Uh, and there are other books that I'm like, oh, wow, these pictures are pretty, these instructions are terrible. I'm so glad I did not buy this. Well, do they have your stamp carving book? Because otherwise, let's donate one. Um, they don't in our local branch, but it, they do have several copies in the system. Okay. And I did notice today when I looked in the card catalog that several copies in uh, elsewhere were out. But yes, wouldn't it be nice if our local library had the book too? Let's just donate one. There you go. Let's force people to take it out. Let's stand <laughs> at the front counter and say, you now must take out Carve Stamp Play and Carve a Stamp. Actually, one of the interesting things about writing this stamp carving book, I have to say, is that I always thought stamp carving was kind of a mainstream-ish thing. Because, you know, in um, art class in school, almost everybody does lino carving at some point. Right. Which is literally, I think they gave us, you know, linoleum tiles from Home Depot to carve. Um, so I always thought it was kind of mainstream. But the interesting thing in writing this book and the marketing and all that kind of stuff is it actually turns out it's a niche within a niche within a niche, which is to say um, art and craft and all that stuff is a niche. And then within that niche, people who are interested in um, the kind of art that I make, meaning sort of, uh, I don't know how I would even describe what I make these days. Um but sort of, uh, let me say, primitive style or slightly aggressive or something like that, you know, that's a niche. And then within that realm, people who are interested in stamp carving is even a smaller niche. So that's kind of interesting. Whereas if you do something like uh, lettering or painting, it's kind of a, it's a bigger niche. So you picked something obscure. I did. I'm just an obscure person. <laughs> but I didn't even realize it was obscure. And actually, that reminds me. So the whole thing about not realizing what's obscure, because obviously the things that are interesting to me seem like they're super mainstream. Whereas the things that are interesting to other people, obviously, I'm like, what? There are people who like that. So, for instance, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, and he mentioned um, some video game. He's like, oh, you know, everybody played that video game. 
And I was like, what? I've never even heard of it. And he was like, no, everybody did. He's like, maybe you're just a quite a little too old for it. I was like, there's no way. My brother's the same age as you. Let me find out. And so I texted him the name of the video game, which, of course, I can't even remember because I'm too old. Um, and I was like, have you ever heard of this game? Have you ever played it? And Matthew just texted back, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, my God. This is That's clearly some mainstream thing that I didn't even know, but it's, you know, real. I wish I could remember the name. I'll try to find it somewhere in my text history by the end of, oh, wait, maybe I have it here. Contra. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. and But apparently every kid has played it who's like 35-ish, 34 My secret is out. I am not 35. <laughs> well, my secret too. I am not that either. So, but that was just the idea of like mainstream versus not. And then I also had a conversation with this woman who works for YouTube this week. And one of the things that she showed me is Google has a site that is a trends site that you can go to where you can find out about trends um, and like what keywords are hot and what searches are hot and all that kind of thing. Um, and you can even find out, because it turns out that YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. So if you go to, I'm just trying to find the right URL, it's google.com backslash trends backslash explore. Mm -hmm. Then you can choose whether to look at, like right now I'm looking at web search. So the top topics that uh, people are putting into a web search is, um, you can see like what they are and then you can also instead of web search, you can do what are people looking for in images? What are people looking for in news? What are people looking for in shopping? What are people looking for on YouTube? And what this YouTube um, woman told me to do is she said, obviously, there's some stuff that's not going to be relevant to your YouTube channel because you're very niche. There's that word again. I'm not doing music or baby or something that's like, you know, universal. I'm doing craft, which is very um, niche. She said, type in, and it was three terms, and I'm trying to remember, it was like DIY, how to, and, instru and like instructions or tutorial or something like that. And you could see how they compared in terms of people searching for those terms. And suddenly you realize that DIY is only searched for eight times a day, but how to is searched for, you know, 400 times a day. And then I'm making these up, by the way. And then tutorial is searched for 8,000 times a day. So it's like what... So it's like ways to make your what you put in more universal. And again, it's like a way of saying um, your own personal experience may not use, make you use the language that other people are using out there. And this sort of helps you um, narrow that down, which I thought was really interesting. I think if you type in the words kale or weight loss, you'll get a <laughs> zillion hits. Oh my gosh, I actually had the best kale omelet ever, which is a complete oxymoron. I recognize that and a weird statement because I've been anti-kale for a long time. But what they did is when they made the omelet, they put the kale in the egg part and then the fillings are separate, you ah. know? So like it had butternut squash and goat cheese and stuff inside it, but then like the, the egg shell had kale baked into it. And that was a really nice way to have it, you know, I don't know how, why to put it, but it just reminds me sometimes that like, so this was the first time I had ever had an omelet that had something that clearly the omelet was made separately from the insides. Uh, and then they were sort of wrapped together more like a burrito than a traditional sort of put the, you know, insides kind of melt into the outside thing. And what it made me think about was actually how 
um, that little innovation of putting the kale in separately and doing it that way, that's the same as in art when something's been done a million times and then you're like, you know what, this is a better or a, a different way to do this same thing, right? Okay, that that relates to your blog post from today. Well, it does. And it also relates to the idea that like little things matter. So if you had had kale on the inside versus kale on the shell, for me, I know it sounds insane, but it matters the same way that like my favorite chips in the world, besides Cheetos, which don't really count, I don't know. Anyway, is the veggie straws at Whole Foods. And they have the same exact, it's literally, if you look at the ingredients and like the calories, exactly the same. And they have veggie chips, which are just a different shape. I swear to you that the veggie straws taste different, that they taste better. Well, actually, chefs will tell you that the way you cut things makes a difference in how you experience them in your mouth. So I would accept that. So I think that's just so interesting, though, because I do think that, like, taste and food is such an easy way for us to all be like, oh, yeah, that's true. Like, can you eat a blue banana versus that's just so such a weird color, you know? And I think, like, with art, too, there's this thing about um, – just making different choices and little things matter. You know, that tiny stroke of pink somewhere, that little uh, tilt to the canvas, the fact that you, you know, did this layer first and that layer second, the fact that, like, um, there is collage under there even though you don't see it. All I think it that's matters. right. And, well. Yeah. So tell us more about the YouTube conversation because I think er, since it's this – huge search engine we all use it but we're sometimes not aware of the little things that make a difference in how we experience it yeah well it was interesting because her job in particular um so youtube has a lot of different programs for what they call their creators and if you reach a certain amount of subscribers on your youtube channel you can actually get all sorts of training from them for free so i qualified recently for this training, which is basically there to help you get subscribers. And so the thing she said is you have, if you have good content, so I have about 22,000 YouTube subscribers now. And she said, clearly, you know, people like what you're doing. You have good content. She said, the issue is you're not doing the things that you need to do to get yourself discovered. And I think that's interesting because one of the things that, um, People often, I have found it historically, I'm going to use the word historically, um, have asked me is about getting eyeballs, you know, on your site, on your Instagram, on your whatever. And I think the thing that I've always said is you have to do the content first so that when people do see, you know, what you have, uh, they want to stay. Because it doesn't matter if Kanye West says, check this site out, and you get millions of people looking at your site if you don't have the content to make them stay, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel really good that my YouTube channel is solid and has good ca- content and all that kind of stuff. And so now what she's trying to do is help me to understand how to drive eyeballs. And there's some simple things she was saying like, um, don't use... When you upload a video to YouTube, the cover, which is the image that people see in like suggested videos or when they're doing a search, can um, is sometimes just a random clip from the video or you can upload a custom thumbnail. And she said, always upload a custom thumbnail because we think about it. When people are looking through and they're going to pick something, you know, often that random thumbnail is like gritty or it's not great quality or it doesn't really show what the video is about. So, you know, pop up a pretty photo of what you're doing. Okay. So I thought that was really good advice, actually. 
um, in terms of that. And actually, it made me think a little bit about, so I started a new Instagram account this week um, that's just for food because I like to take pictures of food and I've always felt like it's inappropriate to share that on all my balls or design stuff. So just for fun, I started a What Julie Ate Instagram account. And the thing is, I immediately um, populated it like the first day with nine photos from the previous like two weeks or something because I knew that I needed to have some content there in case I ever got anybody to actually look at it, right? Right. But I think this is, okay, so now I'm going to relate all this stuff about like social media and you may be a hobbyist and not care and that you're like, I don't care, this conversation boring, whatever. But what I was going to say is this actually relates to me so much about making art, which is people, I think sometimes, and I myself am guilty of this, you're so worried about um, the outcome of it or the... Um, what's, or getting sold or getting into a contest or people liking it on Facebook. And it's like you have to have the what I'm calling content in your art is you have to have the work and the practice and the story that you're telling and the all that stuff, you know, all those things are the same as like the eyeballs on social media. It's all about um, having something that people want to look deeper into, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just reminds me that I have this one painting that I absolutely love, um, which is hanging in my living room. And several people have asked me about buying it after seeing it on my blog and on my Instagram. And so I put a crazy high price on it just because I'm willing to let it go for a king's ransom, but not until then. But I was thinking about why do I love this painting so much? Like, why is this painting just say to me, like, this is the best painting you ever made? Okay, why? And the reason is actually it's partially your fault because I made it and I was pleased with it and I sent you a picture and you were like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't feel like it's done. And I was like, I was like, well, go something yourself, mother. Um, And then I thought about it and then I ended up putting more into it. And now when I look at it, it's so rich. It has so much depth not to relate everything to food, but I'm clearly hungry. It's like a mini layered cake, you know, that you just keep going into. And each flavor, each bite has a different bit of, I don't know. There's something about it because I went past that point where I was pleased with it to find something even better. Well, actually, let's. this leads into a conversation, which is the other day I called you or you called me and you were very frustrated and feeling... Uh, everything you were doing that day was a failure and there was a particular project you were trying to do and it wasn't working out. Let's talk about that a little bit. I believe what I said to you, you said to me, what did you do today? I said, I worked all day and I have nothing to show for it. What a waste of a day. And you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, And the whoa, whoa, whoa is important. So I was working on a project for a class that I'm going to go teach next week in Nashville. Um, and it's a scan and cut project and it uses some new scan and cut accessories that I can't talk about right now. So I'm going to have to use some vague terms and I apologize for that, but I'm going to have to. Um, and the thing is it, I was having trouble because when you're using something new, you don't know immediately like how it's going to turn out. So for instance, the first stencils I designed, when they actually showed up and I used them, I was like, what? This isn't what I had in my mind, you know? 
Now, it is very rare that I make a stencil where it comes back and I'm like, what is this stencil doing? Instead, I'm usually like, that's great. That's just what I expected, blah, 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 because I'm used to it. So because I had never used this accessory before, I didn't sort of mentally understand. So I was going through so many drafts of like, I thought it would turn out like this, but then it turned out like that. I thought it would turn. So then I was like, okay, recalculate based on how it turned out. But then it didn't turn out the way I thought either. So it's like I went through a million different drafts of things and a million different trying. And I was trying to, the other problem is that instead of starting simple with like some simple shapes, I was like, I'm going to do the fanciest, most layered, most complicated thing because this is for a class and this will be cool. And that's a very hard way to learn. And I, I know this is a lesson that I have learned over and over from experience because whenever I get a how-to book, in fact, I have one sitting upstairs on my desk, which is a <laughs> is is kicking my butt, which is on making these 3D paper sculptures out of woven paper. And I didn't want to start with the first project because I didn't think it was that cool. Um, instead, I wanted to start with like one of the last projects and I am lost somewhere in the middle of it right now and probably need to go back and start at the beginning because the thing is you actually need to build the skills and that's always like back to my stamp carving book, Carve, Stamp, Play, like the first section of my book has 10 lessons that if you start at the first one and end at the 10th, and end at the 10th, you will know how to carve any stamp that you want at all because each stamp builds on the other one, you know, for skills. And actually this paper weaving book is set up the same way, which is they do this um, thing of banners. And if you do the 10 banners, then you have all the skills, or it's not 10, it's like six. Then you have all the skills that you need. But I was like, paper weaving, how hard could that be? <laughs> it's interesting because you don't teach like that. I When I go to your classes with you, I see that the first project that you have people do, a lot of people can whip right through it. And I wonder to myself, are they thinking, I paid money to come and learn this? But by the end of the day or the class, they've moved on and you've introduced more complicated stuff. And I just think they're impatient, just like you, to get to the stuff that they've seen that brought them to the class. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, like, I know as a teacher, and this is one of those things always do as I say, not as I do. Like, I know as a teacher that you have to be successful in order to be willing to take risks. And learning is always a risk. And trying something new is always a risk. And trusting essentially a stranger at the front of the room is always a risk. And so I work really hard to make people successful at the front of class so that I can earn their trust and so that they'll feel excited and relaxed and ready to, you know, and open to learning. And then I try to build the lessons in tiny little bits so that there's never like a giant leap you have to make. But all of a sudden, when you turn back, you realize you've crossed this enormous chasm, you know, into something else. The problem is, um, and I see this in class all the time, I tell you things like don't talk bad badly about yourself or don't try to do too much or don't, you know, think of it as a failure. You learn more from failure than sex. I tell you these things not because they come easy to me. I tell you these things because I struggle with them every single day. And these are the things I have to say to myself too. Um, I think in many ways when I teach, I'm teaching myself, you know, and I'm reminded of the struggles that I had. And so those are the kind of tips I give to people. This is something I struggled with. I assume you're going to struggle with it too. And I think that's also why some, I'm never going to say that one teacher is perfect for everyone. I think that some teachers are better for some people because maybe their brain works the way that your brain works. They learn the same way that you learn. So they're going to teach that way naturally. 
Actually, you just finished a weekend of teaching at a new place. Did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, so I shared a uh, what is colloquial, colloquially known as a ton of photos on my blog from the three classes. So first of all, I just want to say that I thought that Kept Creations out in Whitman is a great store, like really fantastic. Like the stuff that was there, I thought was really well curated. Interesting, some stuff that I had never seen, which that always excites me because I think this is a person who's out there really looking for different stuff and scouring things. And I don't know, I really liked it and I had a nice vibe. So that was great. Also, best ice cream ever. Uh, not in the store. <laughs> I wish it was in the store. But out uh, at, is it Peaceful Meadows? Pleasant Meadows? Peaceful Meadows. In Whitman. In Whitman. Right. Great ice cream if you're ever out there. Worth it. Um, and really lovely people, too, as always. You know, really helpful, exciting um, people. And that's that's one of the great reasons to teach is because you get to meet people. And I'm, I'm always charmed. Um, and excited when I meet people who say, I've been following your blog and I'm nice to meet you in person and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And even when people come up to me and they're like, I'm your stalker, I'm like, fantastic. That makes me happy because it means that someone's out there listening. Or when people say, listen to the podcast. And one of the things I like so much about teaching is doing the blog and teaching online and videos and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that people are learning, but I don't ever really know. But when you teach in person and someone says to you, you've opened something up inside me, or I always wanted to art journal, but I didn't know how or why, and now I feel that I can, or I never thought I could draw, but today I drew, or I always hate everything that I make, but today I am so at peace with what I made and I like it, you know, or I don't like it, but I'm at peace with that. Or those things keep me going. They keep me motivated. They keep me excited. And they remind me why I do this and why I love doing it and why a day like Friday where I was so frustrated um, will all be worth it when I see the students and I will have had that day of frustration so that they don't have to. Because everything that I learned that day where I could get nothing to do what I wanted it to, I will be able to pass on to them and to say, you don't have to waste a day because I wasted a day for you. So then that day wasn't wasted after all. See, we get back to you don't take your own lessons, which is you learn from things that don't work as much as from things that do work. In fact, if things work right away, you may not experiment as much as you would when they don't work. Yeah, and I do want to say, because I run into a ton of people who say they have a scan and cut and they've never taken it out of the box or they're scared to use it or whatever. And this is just a reminder that um, you have to do that experiential learning. You know, you have to just push the buttons, make the mistakes, find it out. Um, because there is no like magic moment when it all works. It's the same as like if somebody wanted to be able to sort of just read, you'd be like, um, no, you have to practice reading, right? I would love to like just be able to play the violin or just be able to speak Spanish or, you know, but you can't. You have to practice those things. They're skills. The other thing that was interesting was once again, people, some people in the class talked about how there are there are people who will go to a class and then they'll throw out everything they made in the class because they hate it so much. Yeah. And that really makes me feel bad because I think they they don't give themselves credit for ability to learn things and that they're not supposed to come out of the class with their perfect little thing. Yeah, I think 
people take classes for different reasons. I think if you, I think I wrote an article for cloth, paper, scissors many years ago, maybe three or four years ago, um, which basically talked about taking classes and your mindset going into classes. And one of the things is I stole a line from Avatar where um, he's talking about learning and, it, you know, the the chieftain of the Navi says, basically, you know, we can't teach you because, you know, you come to us with a full cup. There's no room for anything. And he says, my cup is empty. And I think that's the thing, which is it's hard to do, but I think you will always feel like class has been a success in some way if you can come with that empty cup. So that is letting go of your expectations and thinking about, you know, what it is you want out of it. Maybe it's one technique, one idea. Maybe it's just to have fun for six or seven hours with your friends or with strangers. Maybe it's to make a new friend. Maybe it's to try out some new supplies. Maybe it's to see a new store, to see a new city, to, you know, whatever it is. But I think if you make a concrete goal for yourself, I mean, I almost always start class by asking people what they're hoping to get out of class partially because I'm interested if anybody is what people are there for and a lot of people just say I'm just here to have fun or I'm here just to use my supplies and then there are some people who are like I can't draw and I need you to teach me how to draw by the end of class and the funny thing is when they say that they realize how sort of funny an expectation that is that they're going to you know learn how to draw in the next seven hours but at the same time I think they do come to class with that desire you know, and so that just lets me know what they're wanting. And, and as I always say, when I teach any sort of drawing classes, I always say, the thing is, I'm not actually going to teach you how to draw today. I'm going to make you remember that you already know how, which is essentially what I end up doing. And you'll recall, mom, that we had a woman in class who said absolutely she couldn't draw. She did beautiful drawings, unbelievably beautiful drawings, you know, but I think what she meant is she couldn't draw like other people she saw drawing. Well, I think there you go. That's the conundrum of class. On the one hand, you do learn from each other. On the other hand, you have to not be competitive or comparing with others. Right, which is really hard. I mean, it's a natural thing to compare. And I think um, I know this about for myself in taking class, which is I love taking class. I would take class all the time. One of the problems I have is if I go to a class where um, people know who I am, um, I suddenly feel very pressured to not be bad at what we're learning. You know, I hope you rise above <laughs> that. <laughs> I don't think it's a, I hope it's a, but so that's something that I consciously then struggle with where I'm like, you know, oh God, I am going to be bad at this. And, you know, do I let myself be bad at it? And, and cause that's the only way you can learn is when you let yourself, you know, or do I not? And it's kind of, it's complicated though, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, of course, do not have that pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I start out being bad. And if I make anything at all that I like, I feel it's a triumph. Well, you know, my friend Judy used to say that um, she always tried to be a beginner at things so that she understood how that felt. And I think that that's really good because when you understand what that feels like, then you're just not that way then you just treat other people with a little more kindness, you know? I think also you like starting new different kinds of crafts you've never tried before, and you feel freer probably to do that, to be a beginner there, because you haven't, you haven't uh, made a, a public name for being 
good at something. Yeah, I have to tell you, one of my proudest moments, and it's super stupid. I acknowledge that it's stupid, but it's still a really proud moment for me, which is I went to a uh, figure drawing. It was not a class. It was just like a dynamic drawing. There's a model there, and there's sort of a guy who's not really an instructor, but a leader who sort of walks around and talks and blah, blah, blah. And I was completely anonymous because I'm in Australia and I'm doing my sketching and I've never thought that I was particularly good at figure drawing, but I love doing it and it's something I want to get better at. And so I've been practicing and practicing and I think I have gotten better over the years. And he came by and out of the blue, he just said to me, you're very good. And I said, oh, thank you. Um, and he just moved on and, you know, he's looking around and, you know, talking to people about various things, but it was such a small comment and such an innocuous moment. And I think I've always felt that like people will tell me my art is good by, uh, by like force of personality or who they think I am or because they like my blog or because I'm silly or do you know what I mean? So it was kind of a lovely thing to have a complete stranger on another continent, even if he was just being nice say that and it made me feel good particularly because that's an area where I feel personally insecure you want to talk about giving feedback because I think that different teachers do it in different ways yeah I mean I think that um a lot of students want feedback what do you think what should I do and I almost always give the most frustrating answer that anybody can ever give you but I think it's an important one in my opinion for a teacher to give which is I tend to ask questions back because my job, I think, as a teacher is to empower my students, which is to say they shouldn't need me when they get back to their studio to be able to continue the work that we started. If they do still need me, then I've done something wrong as a teacher. So when they ask me those questions, I usually try to push it back at them so that they can ask those questions to themselves when they're back home you know? So my method of giving feedback is usually to push it back at you or to show you something I've done and talk from personal experience on my own work, but almost never to say, I would add yellow. You know, I think one of the best things you do is you tell people they need to be able to articulate what they don't like in order to be able to fix the problem. And that's not just in art. I think it applies to your life. If there's some situation that isn't working for you, you have to be able, able to articulate why before you can start addressing it. I think that's true. I think that's 100% true. And sometimes when you say something out loud, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think that talk therapy works is because sometimes when you say something out loud or you have to explain it to somebody, you find the answer within what you're saying or doing or have finally said out loud. I mean... I think um, words have power. And I remember the first time I said to somebody, I'm getting a divorce. And I was like, whoa, that's really happening, you know? Or even this Instagram account that I started with the food thing, where I debated a long time whether or not to say, you know, I've lost more than 100 pounds. It's an absolute stated fact. But for some reason, saying it out loud makes me feel shy or embarrassed or weird. I think it should make you feel... <laughs> triumphant. <laughs> I think I should too. But it's just a funny thing. I mean, I think sometimes you need to say things out loud and it's the same. I mean, that's actually what a lot of my blog posts today was about, which was like saying I am an artist, saying this is the way that I do it. Like just like owning yourself and not thinking that other people get to own your own narrative. 
And then it, just one last little yeah. thing about this related. I remember once you took an art class and the instructor drew on your work as a way of showing you what he thought you should do. And that's the same thing as feeling like the teacher has to be there. You don't have the ability to solve your own issues, that there's one way and only one way. And it also, again, applies to life. You can't have other people drawing on your picture. You have to, you know, whatever it is that you want, you have to figure it out and own it in order to be able to address it. Otherwise, you'll always be looking around for somebody to come in and solve your issues. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are some people who just like, who like the teacher to draw on their picture to make it look how the teacher's hand looks. But I always feel like I haven't learned anything then. Then I basically have bought a piece of your work for the price of class, you know? And I think that can be great. I mean, if Picasso wanted to draw on my canvas, I'd be like, please, dude, do it. But generally speaking, I feel like I can't, if you fix the eye for me, how am I, how am I going to fix it next time? Right. So, yeah. True story. Um, speaking of Picasso, and we were just, um, one of the things I posted today was about how Picasso really by many is believed to be the father of collage and mixed media. And someone in the comments pointed, pointed out a woman named Mary Delaney. Mm -hmm. I had never heard of. Have you heard of her? No, but enlighten me, please. Well, I actually would like to do a blog post about her. So it turns out uh, in the 18th century, so that's the 1700s, she was an English woman. And in, at 72 years old, she began this masterwork. And back in those days, being 72, I feel like is being like 1,000 years old. Do you know what I it mean? Miss, there are days when it feels close to that oh, now. Well, I, for you know some what I us. mean. Like most of the time, I feel <laughs> like in the 1700s, they're like she died at 49. You yeah. know? But yeah. I will point out that um, anyway, so she did a thousand botanical collages after the age of 72. D E L A N E Y? No, or? no E. D E L A N Y. Okay. Okay. And so she did all these things. And like, so many people believe that she may have been, uh, there was some decoupage and stuff around. And mm -hmm. this is sort of like a small step past decoupage into more collage. Mm -hmm. Because instead of just purely cutting out images, I believe she was actually, you know, making the images, some of them, uh -huh. but they look like decoupage if you see any of the images and they're called collages and they're all botanicals and they look like just botanical drawings out of like any of those old uh, nature books. Uh -huh. So I thought that was interesting because it's an artist. Anyway, I'd like to do it. There's tons. Of, it turns out that there's lots of books and uh, there is not lots of books, but there are a couple different books about her and about sort of a circle of artists that she worked with. And then, or was associated with, and then um, there are lots of pictures of her work, and you can buy prints and blah, blah, blah. And it seems like one of these things where here's someone who clearly is very well known, I had never heard of, but very interesting. And so I want to do a little post and show some of her work. Good idea. Yeah. I love it when, I mean, this is one of the things that I've always said, which is I love my blog because I feel like it's a dialogue. You know, and that uh, I learn things all the time from comments that people make and all that kind of stuff. So that was a good You dialogue. said there were other comments on today's blog. For some reason, I can't get the comments today. 
Um, if you just go to the blog and click on comments. I, all right. All right. Okay. No. So I got a <laughs> bunch of emails and a lot of comments and I picked out a couple that I wanted to talk about. And I, um, and I, there's so many of them and they're so good. And really you, you can see there's also, I picked up a comment from Facebook that somebody had left and there's a couple emails First, in here. Set up the premise, which is you were going through. Yeah. So partially partially written but never published blog posts is yes. that what it was so in 2012 i started this blog post that was all about there being no right or wrong in art and so i found the post and it was mostly completely written and so i read through it and i was like whoa i still agree with like 90 percent of this so i fixed it up a little bit and i added in a couple images um, but the idea basically is that there's obviously no right or wrong in art and there are lots of um details about that so I, I this is an email I got from someone so she says um, her name is Jean and she says I love this post I've been following your blog for probably nine years I'm not an artist but I started painting this year I love it more for the expression and pure fun of doing it not because of what I'll produce this post means a lot to me I think I'll read it to my 10 year old granddaughter this week so there were a couple of things that I really that really struck me about Jean's comment. I mean, the first is that she said she's been following the blog for nine years, which is kind of like, whoa, because I think we figured out the other day I've been blogging for just about 10 years. So that's almost the whole time. Um, I also, it was interesting that she says she's not an artist, but she started painting this year. Um, and I also like the idea she's going to read it to her 10-year-old granddaughter because we talked a lot about and have talked about it all the time about how sometimes kids get um told in art class or other places you know you're not an artist or what it means to be an artist and I love the idea that she's going to pass on to her granddaughter that she can do and who knows what her granddaughter will do I do think that uh, uh teaching art to young people is a really special thing and you have to be careful again because it's a class and I assume in a class you have to get grades it's really difficult, I think, to avoid that trap of there's a right way and a wrong way to draw this still life. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, I feel like Jim is pass-fail. Why isn't art? Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it feels like that kind of thing. Like, either you put in the effort or you didn't. I mean, that's all I think you can be judging at that point is did you try? Trust me, I never ran the mile in gym class, but I managed to pass every year. You never, you know what I I have some of your old art around from high school. Yes. And when I look at it, I see that it's very, uh, it's very controlled and rigid. Yeah, because it's trying to be I, photorealistic because that's what they were teaching us and I was not good at it. Yeah, and it also feels very much like you're, copying something yeah do you know what I mean because I think art for me with the teachers I had and I'm not going to speak for all of them I know some art teachers they're often my students who are amazing and I have seen the work that they post of their students and they talk about how they try to free their students and excite their students and I know they pour their own money into art budgets and stuff and I think there are some amazing art teachers out there I will say my very bored art teachers that I had growing up um, we're not that interested in self-expression and we're mostly interested in setting up a still life and, and you would draw and they would sit at their desk and do whatever they did. Wow. Yeah. So 
there you go. That's the story. That's the true story. Um, so the other thing I thought was interesting, and there are a couple posts like this, but I picked up Frank's post from Facebook where he said, "It's this is so wonderful that I had to share. Boundaries are important to us, but sometimes the rules stifle creativity. And I thought that was really important because I think sometimes you have to think about what are the things that are stopping you from creating? Is it time? Well, let's find a way you know, can you do 10 minutes a day? Let's find a way to make those 10 minutes happen. Do you not have a space? Well, let's find a way to find, you know, some nook, cranny, hole, you know, thing that can be your place to do. Do you not have, you know, the right materials? Well, let's find out how we can beg, borrow, I'm not going to say steal, you know, the things that you need. Well, you don't have, you know what I mean? It's like finding what the barriers are and just mm-hmm. getting rid of them. So if the rules are giving you barriers, just get rid of them. I think that rules and art are meant to help you. That's what I always say. So I have a design principles class. Uh, I don't even know if I still have it. I used to have No, I think I still do. Yeah, you do. I do. You have, yeah. You and the it. thing is, like, I tell people in the class, and I think it's really important. I learned these because I wanted to know the rules so that I could understand how to help myself. I don't obey these all the time. But if I look at something and I'm like, hmm, there's something wrong, I can usually go to those rules to help myself to find a way to fix it. And so I think if you think of rules not as rules, but more like as a, as a Jack Sparrow said, guidelines. <laughs> I think I think that's helpful. Um, so then this is actually a comment from a student who was in those classes that kept creations. Her name is Mimi. And she says, um, those are very wise and encouraging words for 2012 till now and beyond. Quote, there is no right or wrong in art, end quote, all the way to, quote, there is the way that works for you, end quote. You certainly conveyed that in your classes last week. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and thank you for starting me on the way to freeing myself to keep taking more and more confident steps to enjoying and accepting what I create and stumble through the sometimes overly self-critical process of moving forward. Your teasing was much appreciated. It's a reminder to self there is no right or wrong in art. And I Wow, your teasing is much appreciated. No, my teasing is always appreciated. (laughs) You don't know that, Mom, because maybe it's not appreciated by you. Um, But uh, what I was going to say is I am so pleased to get this from Mimi. And one of the things that happened over the three days of class for her is that she went from being incredibly self-critical in the Friday night class to by Sunday just like liking what she did and talking about her work positively. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that makes me feel fantastic that's the kind of stuff that makes me so happy to pass the joy of art because art should be joyful and I love this thing she wrote about accepting what I create that is huge I think that whenever people are like whenever you say I don't like it you've already defeated yourself I think what you need to find out is what do you like about it you know and go towards those things And I also really like how she says, um, stumble through the sometimes overly self-critical process of moving forward. And this is what I'm so guilty of, and I think we talked about before, which is that it's so, if you're looking at yourself as you're learning and the whole time you're screaming at yourself, you jerk, you idiot, what are you doing? You're stupid. How are you ever going to learn? You know, whereas if you're saying, oh, good for you, you tried something new. Oh, hey, you fell, but you can get on up. You know, I think you're going to be more successful. And I and I remember listening to this TED Talk about success and about people who are successful. And one of the things they were saying in some of these um, studies is that people, there are certain people who just refuse to say no. And instead of looking at failure as failure, 
what they do is they look at it as incentive. They look at it as just another notch until they get there. It's not it's 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 not uh, you're going to be happy when it's over if you're not happy it's not over you know I mean I think it's that thing and I really believe that which is you keep the the major goal in front of you and everything you do is a sort of step towards that you know I subscribe to a newsletter from the New York Times which is recipes of course you do (laughs) and one of the things is that with each of the recipes, people send in comments after they've tried it. And the range of comments is very interesting. And what you see is, oh, I didn't have this, so I substituted that and it was great. Or I thought it was too much butter, so I used less and that was good. Or I tried this instead of that, or I threw in these extra ingredients. And everyone's talking about how they tinkered around with what was the original recipe. And I think that's the way to go here, which is make it work for you. The recipe is just the beginning. Yeah, it's just a starting point. I mean, I um, you can stick lots of stuff together any way that you want. And it's like anything. It's like I this, you know, more this all the weight that I lost. That was not a straight line down, you know. You have steps backwards or up the scale as you go down. And I think that the same thing is true in learning and in creating, right? It's not always going to be a forward roll. Um, so this other comment I wanted to say is, so she says, I, uh, this is Melissa, and she says, I agree 110%. In a dictionary, you find the definition for artist as, quote, one who professes and practices an imaginative art, end quote. Profess, practice, and imaginative art being the key words. Practice will lead you down different paths. Anyone who professes to be an artist and creates rules for art isn't really an artist. Art is from the heart and soul and requires you to use your imagination. Rules have no place in our imagination. I think that is why I didn't really embrace art in school. There were rules, and I felt like I didn't conform to those rules and wasn't good enough to do any type of art. Now I want to learn how to do it all. I can't really draw, but I love to play with color. You know what? I I don't know why my mind just went to this place, but while you were reading that, I was thinking of dreaming and then how the ordinary rules of physics or time or whatever, they don't apply in your dreams. And you can come up with the most unexpected, fantastical things. And I think that's... That's where you start with what you is in your world. You dream about maybe someone you know, but in a different way or a house you recognize, but it's it's not your house. And somehow you take those building blocks and you make something different out of it while you're asleep. And I was just thinking that I wonder if there's something to creating art being a freeing of your subconscious in almost like a dreamlike way. You don't have to be bound by, okay, you know that ordinarily uh, horses don't fly, but if in your art your horse is flying and it came out of your brain like that, do it. Yeah, and I think like, uh, you know, so I took a figure painting class at the Art Students League many years ago, and it was the first time that I was taking sort of, quote, formal art education. And I was doing basically what I saw everybody else on the easels around me doing. You paint using various flesh tones exactly what you see in front of you, this naked person, right? 
And then at some point during one of the breaks, I was walking around the room and I stumbled into this one girl's canvas and it was her imagination on the canvas. She had drawn this guy we were looking at with like multicolored rainbows coming out of his head and like all these stars on his body and like, you know, weird colors. And I suddenly thought, oh, I don't actually have to draw what everybody else is drawing. We're all going to come out with the same painting from different angles. I can use this model as a starting point for something else, for my imagination. And it really started me down the work that I think I do today, which is all these sort of colorful faces in it. Nothing is really skin color and, you know, odd backgrounds and weird places and all that kind of stuff that I really like. And I think, um, you know, that... Thank God, thank God for that girl. I mean, that was a wonderful moment where another student in class, without saying a word, but just by leaving her canvas standing up, you know, taught me that it was, or told me that it was okay to do what I wanted. As your mother, it is not okay to do what you want. <laughs> Trust me, I got that message growing up every single day. Um, okay, so then our next comment is... And by the way, I really am not even reading half the comments from Faye. Um, and she says, um, I think this was an email. It hurts me to, or maybe it was a comment on the blog. I can't remember anymore. It hurts me to think that people write to you telling that you're doing something wrong. I'm a spiritual teacher and I know that people are where they are and it's not personal. It's just their experience. But thank goodness you do what you do. I also know that it's one of the things that stops me doing more sharing online. Can I cope with the people who want to tell me I'm doing it wrong? So I thought that was a really interesting question. Can I well, cope with that? Yes. We we have this family thing that we'll now reveal to the world, which is called the brick of hate. And sometimes something negative happens to you, to all each of us. And we call that the brick of hate. Somebody has passed it on. And so you'll call me or I'll call you and say, I need to pass this brick of hate on to you so that it will you know, be off my shoulders. I don't have to deal with it anymore. So then I'll tell you the terrible thing. And now I feel relieved. And now you have to deal with the brick of hate. Although maybe it doesn't mean as much to you because it wasn't said directly to you or done directly to you. And it, you just have to think of this as sometimes the negative comments are just a brick of hate that gets passed on and you just have to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, I also think like... It's also sometimes people want to show their expertise. And sometimes the only way that people know to establish themselves as experts is to show you how you're wrong. You know, um, I am an expert at digging and you are digging that hole incorrectly. Let me show you uh, the correct way to do it. And I think sometimes they don't mean to be insulting. They're just trying to make themselves to be experts. The funny thing, of course, is that anybody I have encountered who really is an expert in an area is usually loath to tell you ever that you're doing something wrong, you know? I will just say that if I had to dig a hole and somebody else wanted to show me how to do it, I'd love it. Yes, please. I didn't get that. Show me some more. How do I dig that hole? Keep digging. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. This is how this is how you eat chocolate cake. Let me show you. Uh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the thing that's more important to me is the last line about her saying, like, you know, can can I do it? Can I do it? And I think... I think the more that you put stuff out there, A, people are actually very kind 
generally speaking. And a lot of times I think people um, want to tell you that you're doing it wrong, not in a nasty tone. They try to do mm-hmm. it in what I mm-hmm. would say a kind way, which is to say, listen, you know, you may not know this, but you're not supposed to mix that with that. Um, you're really only supposed to do it this way because they feel, I think, that you're misleading other people or because that's the way that has worked for them or because that's what they've been taught. And so often they're really just trying to help genuinely Uh help um Uh it's the same way that like you know you're never supposed to take a blind person's arm you're always supposed to let them take yours but Uh i think most blind people have had enough experience to know that if someone takes their arm they're not trying to be rude it's just out of a lack of experience you know and they need to be told politely you know it's much better for me if i can take your arm instead right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think there's stuff like that where people aren't trying to be rude. They're just trying to make sure. But the, the, the thing, of course, is even when somebody nicely says to you, you're doing it wrong, that can still be difficult. Um, but I think the good news is whenever you put something out there and that it may not be the norm, what you do is you're the girl in class who inspired me to say, I can paint my imagination and not what I see. And so every time you're willing to put yourself out there, every time you're willing to say, to let your freak flag fly, to say, I like faces that, you know, have one eye big and one eye small. I remember when I found out that de Kooning, whose pictures of women are insane and grotesque, used models to create those. It blew my mind. But that to me was he was painting his imagination of them, you know, his nightmare terror of them, I suppose. Um, But yeah, so... So I think I think I would encourage everyone to put their art out there because I think that you will inspire other people to believe that they can um, let their freak flags fly. Wow. There you go. Um, so this, I think, is an email. And she says, I just finished reading today's post. There is no right or wrong in art. It could not have come at a better time. I have just begun an unbelievable foray into the world of mixed media, and I have been doubting myself and my abilities. And the last line really made me smile. There is the way that works for you. It put a little zing back into me and made me realize I am doing this to have fun and create. Thank you. I enjoy all your posts, and you truly are a source of inspiration for me. That's from Jeanette. And then Tina had a related comment that I thought I would read at the same time, which says, Thank you, Julie. I so needed to hear this. I'm learning new things in arts, new techniques, new mediums, and sharing on Facebook. I'm feeling doubtful and sensitive at times about my artwork. This self-doubting creeps into other areas of my life, which is hurting me. This article is so timely and sobering. I'm grateful to have received and read it. Thank you, Tina. And I think the thing about both of these comments for me that I think is really important is not only does that self-doubt creep into other areas of your life, but the reverse is true. If you start saying, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to, you know, believe in myself, I'm going to think that I do know how to do this, I'm going to, you know, all those things, that creeps into other areas of your life. I can unequivocally say that all the ways in which I talk badly about myself in my personal non-art life, I talk badly about myself in my art life. But I find that when I am like, I am an art goddess and I am making amazing things, like when I'm feeling like that, I am doing that then in the rest of my life too and vice versa. So I, I think it is all of one because art is something that you create from within. And it actually reminds me of, so my brother, Matthew, your son, I, you may I recall him. him. <laughs> uh, so he is in the middle of scouting locations for a film he's going to shoot. 
And he was having, if I may share, a minor meltdown about some issues, which basically boiled down to he was like, I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing. And we had a long talk in which I said to him, that's fantastic. Because when you're aware that you don't necessarily know, then you're being careful and you're making choices and you're like thinking about things. The thing is you just need to make that not paralyzing, you know? You know that you don't know everything, you know? You know that you're not Steven Spielberg yet and that's fine, you know? But it's like you. everybody was at this point at some time. And if you wait until you're quote unquote ready, you'll never do it. Sometimes you just have to leap. Sounds like raising children, actually. I know. I remember you said to me that, like, you have this moment where suddenly they, like, hand you your baby and they're like, bye. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? What am I You're leaving doing? me alone? Yeah. What am I doing with this thing? Because... So you were my starter. And after I learned what I was doing, then I <laughs> Then had you made that perfect creation that is Matthew. There right. you go. Right. Well, you know what they say. First is the worst. Second is the best. Say la vie. Story of my life. Uh, so anyway, so those are just a couple of the comments from the post today that I thought were interesting and that I thought were worth talking about because I think, I think the post resonated with me four years later and resonated with everyone else today because whether we believe it or not, we all say to ourselves constantly, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And the more that we can consciously try to stop that, you know, uh, the better off we are. And I, I actually, so I remember, this may be too personally revealing, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is um, I remember talking to my therapist when I used to go to therapy and she, and asking her, like, can you ever actually stop or change true things about her yourself? And she said, well, she said, you, you know, you can become conscious of the fact that that's the way that your brain works. And so that when those things happen, you can then consciously decide to make another choice. And what begins to happen is after a while of, of doing that conscious turning, what ends up happening is you actually, you know, do you actually change your behavior or does it just become easier to sort of now sub subconsciously do it, you know, hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting. And it totally related to I had a color wheel. I know I've told this story a million times, but I had a color wheel on my desk for like three years that I looked at every day that I made art. And then at some point I stopped reaching for it because I just knew the color wheel, you know. And I think that's the thing, which is you have to sometimes consciously say to yourself, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to say good things. I'm going to find three good things that I like about this piece before I turn the page. I'm, you know, whatever it is. And then suddenly you'll start subconsciously doing it and you'll find that actually you have changed your mindset. Well, I think that works again throughout your life and with other things. I am going to have... Uh, an extra hour of sleep by making myself turn out the light an hour earlier, you know? I mean, I just think at first it's, you have to consciously say, oh, I'm dawdling when I should be getting in bed and turning out the light. But then after a while, I think you're training yourself to do that. I think it happens in everything. It's about habit and about realizing that you have a habit and that you don't like the results of whatever that habit is. And so then you consciously try to figure out ways in which to break that habit. And uh, 
when you find something that works for you, then you have to make that decision again and again until it becomes the new habit. Yeah, my friend Jen said she gave up movie theater popcorn for like a year, but then after the year she decided she didn't need it, and so she hasn't eaten it since, and it's been like many years. Tough habit to I know. I me. like movie theater popcorn <laughs> a lot. Anyway, so it looks like... But I respect <laughs> There that. you go. It looks like it's time for us to wrap up. Did you want to say anything else? Not a thing. Oh, man. No Yoda words at the end of the podcast? I feel that my wisdom has been sprinkled throughout <laughs> okay. the podcast and that there's no need for me to uh, uh, leave with a flourish. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, as oh. always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions. As you can tell, we like comments um, at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's all one word. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>